It was a year of adjustment. From remote learning to masked in-person instruction, the 2020-2021 school year was unlike any we've ever seen. The coronavirus pandemic upended the borough's school system and placed an unprecedented burden on students, parents, educators, and staff that could have implications for years to come. Welcome to the Staten Island Advances from the Scene, a podcast bringing you an inside look at the biggest stories on Staten Island with the reporters who cover them. I'm your host, Eric Bascom, and this week I'm joined by education and community news reporter Annalise Knudsen to discuss the coronavirus impact on the past school year and what students and teachers can expect moving forward. Thanks for joining me today, Annalise. How are you doing now that another school year is officially in the books? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. It's been a little bit hectic this school year, but I'm so happy that it's finally come to an end and we can start looking forward to next school year. Yeah, absolutely. This was certainly a wild one, and I'm uh, very excited to get into some of the specifics with you. So first, let's talk about some of the the different options that students had this year. So students could either elect for full remote learning, or they could choose a blended learning model that kind of varied depending on which school they were at and, uh, you know, which cohort they were in and all that. So can you tell me a little bit about each of those options and give me kind of an idea of how many students elected to go full remote and how many went with that blended? learning. So before the school year started, they offered two different options for New York City public school students, and that was because with social distancing, they wouldn't be able to bring every single student back to classroom safely. And they offered the remote option, so students were able to be fully remote, which means that they would be working completely from home, and they would not be going into their school buildings in person. And that also meant that their teachers would also be teaching them from their own homes or from a classroom fully remote. So the students that were able to do that, and then they were able to do a blended learning option, and the blended learning allowed students to basically be part-time in a school building, learning in person, and then the other days of the week they would be learning from home. And that could have either been with live learning from a school teacher, or that would have been asynchronous learning where they would get an assignment and they would have to complete that assignment on their own from home. And at the start of the school year, with that opt-in period that they allowed students to have and families to have, about 60% or 70%, I'm sorry, it was 70% opted to be fully remote when the school year started in September. And that's a citywide number. And then the opt-in period reopened eventually throughout the school year. And when by the end of of this current school year in June, that number was about 60% remote and 40% in-person. It's interesting, actually, that it seems, you know, throughout the school year that more people decided that they were ready to get back into the building, which I guess isn't that surprising as we saw coronavirus statistics start to trend in the right direction as the year went on. So I I, I can certainly understand why it is that people who may have been hesitant initially uh, eventually decided that they were ready to get back into the school building. But so one thing that drew a lot of scrutiny early on was the city's decision to test students and other members of the school community for the coronavirus actually, uh, you know, in the school. So can you talk about their coronavirus testing program and some of the pushback that they got from parents? Yes. So the coronavirus testing program came in just after this new school year started, and it was just a way for the city to randomly test a small portion of the school population that included students and staff. And it was just to ensure that if there was an asymptomatic person in the school that had coronavirus, that they were able to 
close the classroom if it was one person in the classroom or close the entire school building if there were a few more cases and they would have students quarantine and remote learn during that time. But when it was first introduced, the city requires consent from families to be able to test the children in the school. And that drew a lot of criticism from families because coronavirus has been, it's been very hectic for parents. And I think it was just a fearful thing for parents to think that their small child would be getting a nasal swab in a school building and they would feel nervous and scared about that. And so that drew a lot of scrutiny. But by the time that the entire city shut down all the schools at the 3% threshold and they reopened the schools again, every single person had to have a mandated consent form on file. And again, that drew a lot more scrutiny because people did not want that for their children. But for the city, it was like, you either have a mandated consent and your kid comes back to school or you don't come back to school because you don't have a consent form. So... I think that could also bring us back to that percentage number of term in terms of parents wanting to keep their kids remote. And I guess that's also, while it did go from 70% to 60% in terms of remote learning, I still think parents were still very unsure about the city performing a nasal swab on their child. Yeah, and that's something that I heard a lot of as well. I actually covered a few different events where either it was a rally outside of a school or or something like that, and people were talking about this was one of the big issues for them. And I think part of it was the fact that, like you said, they're just not comfortable with their smaller children having these kinds of tests done without them there to, you know, hold their hand and be with them in those situations. I heard a lot of parents actually say to me that, okay, if they want me to test my my kid for him to go to school, let me take him to his pediatrician and get the test there, or let me take him to an urgent care and, and get the test there, and then we'll send you the results. And why does it have to be a random test while he's in school? You pull him out of class, he's, you you know, whatever it might be. So I think kind of the nature of the testing was part of the issue for people. But you make a good point. So let's talk about you you mentioned this earlier, we had reached a point in November where COVID rates had increased and all of the schools were forced to close down again for in-person instruction. So everyone switched back to remote learning. Can you talk to us about, you know, what prompted that shutdown, how long it lasted and, and when some of these students were finally able to get back into the school buildings? So at the beginning of the school year, and this, again, this is when coronavirus rates were very low at, the, at this point. And schools reopened and Mayor Bill de Blasio told families that if it comes to a point that the coronavirus positivity rate over a seven-day average in New York City reaches 3%, that it would just be an automatic shutdown of every single New York City public school. And they would basically take time to figure out how they would eventually reopen them. And that's what happened in in mid-November. This was about a week before Thanksgiving. And the mayor said that we were shutting down all schools. He followed through on his 3% threshold promise. And then it began the entire process of how are we going to reopen all the public schools all over again? And what the city did is similar to what they did at the beginning of the school year. They said, we're going to bring back the most in need students first. And they did that in December. They brought back the pre-K students and the elementary school students and District 75 students, which are our special education students in the city. And they were able to reopen under much stricter guidelines. Testing would have increased at that point in schools for the random coronavirus testing. Again, that's where the mandated 
consent forms came in to have kids get tested in school. And then it wasn't until February that middle schools would reopen. And then eventually high schools were the last ones to reopen near the end of March. So it took for every single student to come back from pre-K to 12, including our special ed students, about three months. But we also have to remember that December, January, February, we were hitting really, really high positivity rates across the city and across the state. And that's probably why students weren't able to come back yet as soon as they probably wanted them to. But now they've all been, they've all were back until the end of June, so. Yeah, and you mentioned that November shutdown that ended up being for some students, you know, as long as three months. And you had that shutdown on top of what you were talking about earlier, where there was this, there were situations where a school would reach two positive cases, three positive cases in their randomized testing, and then they would have to shut down for a week or two weeks or whatever it might be. So some students, I, I heard from parents who said, school's been in session for X amount of months, but my kid's only been in the classroom 10 times because he's only going in two days a week and the school shut down for a week here. And then there was the three-month shutdown and then there was a two-week shutdown. So it really was just very hectic, I think, for a lot of these schools, depending on their individual situations and who is testing positive there. And while some schools and some students may have had more of a routine and have been in there kind of regularly, there were definitely schools out there that felt like they were closed as much as they were open throughout the year, which I imagine had to be really difficult for some of the students and for some of the, the educators as well. So another thing about the people who are in school for blended learning, students, while they were in the school buildings, were required to wear masks, which was also something that was kind of criticized by some parents and some elected officials. This week there were fireworks, there were celebrations, that we're ready to move on, that we're ready to move on past this pandemic, that restrictions are being lifted. Yet, our school-aged children still are required to wear masks in school. Stephen Matteo is the Mid-Island City Council member for Staten Island. We absolutely believe that is the wrong decision. Speaking as an elected representative and a father, I find it ridiculous that my kids in, in, in elementary school have to wear masks. Can you tell me about some of the challenges that the the mask requirement presented this year, particularly for some of the younger students who it, it may be a little more difficult for them to adjust? I know that that was something that a lot of parents were questioning before the start of the school year, how a child as young as three years old would be able to wear a face mask throughout an eight hour school day. And that was a valid concern. And when the school year started, the DOE made a point of, of doing a campaign for families and schools to send out to <laughs> to students to basically say like here's how you wear a mask here's what you need to do and surprisingly from what i've heard from from schools and from teachers that it really wasn't that hard for students to adapt especially younger students to adapt to wearing a face mask and i want to say it's because the entire world at that point was wearing a face mask so Everywhere you went, you basically saw people wearing a face mask. And I think for some people, it's weird to not see people wearing a face mask now. And I know for the schools, they would have face mask breaks where a student could go out in the hallway for a minute 
take a drink of water, go to a water fountain, and just take their mask off for a moment just so they have a, a minute to breathe and get used to it. From what I've heard, there really hasn't been any issues with the face mask throughout the school year. I know it's something that going into the next school year is going to be another topic of discussion of whether or not we should have them or not. So looking back, I don't think the face masks were as big of a deal as in in terms of the overall learning experience of students. I think that was more harder for them to get used to than just wearing the face mask all day. Yeah. And so let's shift gears a little bit. We've been talking mostly about students who were in the blended learning and who were going into school buildings. But let's talk a little about the students who elected for the full remote this year. So some of these kids haven't been in an actual school building for over a year now, right? If they're full remote for this year and then, you know, whatever last year was as well. So what have you heard from some of these students and some of the teachers about the difficulties of full-time remote learning from an educational standpoint? We can definitely start with uh, devices, which began back when schools closed back in March of last year. Making sure kids had devices, I think, was such a difficult thing for the schools to figure out to make sure every student had the ability to sign in, as well as having an internet connection, which a lot of the iPads that the DOE would send to families were internet enabled and they had LTE, so they were able to tune in. And I think when parents were choosing between a blended and a remote option, and as the school year went on and more opt-in periods became available, and as schools continued to close for cases, I think there was a reason why a lot of parents chose to do remote learning. Their kid would have the same teacher throughout the school year, and they wouldn't have to worry about bringing their kid to school for it to possibly close the next day, for them having to quarantine for 10 to 14 days in the middle of a school year. So I think there's disadvantages and advantages for everything. And I think one of the things that will be difficult for students is returning back to school in the fall completely in person. It'll be another different environment for them to get used to. They've been so used to going home, staying home, waking up, and just logging in and, and doing an assignment or being in a classroom, talking to people over a computer screen. To be able to go back in a classroom, I think will feel very different. I want to say more so for the younger kids who really haven't been in a classroom. We think about the kindergarten students who really haven't been in a real in-person classroom environment. So we have to think about how it's going to affect the students long-term in terms of their learning, if, they're, if they've fallen behind more so than they would have if they weren't able to get a device, they didn't have internet, if something went wrong, they weren't able to sign in, they fell behind on their work, parents that weren't able to help their kids as much as they would like to if their kid needed more guidance during a school day learning remotely from home. And then we also bring in that social-emotional learning aspect, how kids are socializing. They're socializing through a screen. So what is that going to look like when kids are in person? You know, how is that going to be different for those students? So it's a lot to think about just when you look at it through the scope of the last school year. But now, what is the long-term effect of these students going forward throughout the rest of their school careers? Yeah, I think you hit on a bunch of really interesting points there. The the first one being kind of the 
the idea of potential learning loss and, and, you know, actually trying to teach these students over a screen all year and, you know, not being able to offer that in-person one-on-one kind of help that, you know, the teacher's walking around the room, they stop at a desk and, and help a kid out with a problem that he's struggling with or whatever it may be. But I've, you know, I've heard from so many people that it's just not, it's not the same. I mean, you're not learning in the way that kids have been learning for years and years and years. So it, it'll be interesting to see how that impacts students from the educational standpoint and what they were able to learn and what they were able to retain and whether they got the same quality of education, so to speak, as they would have if it had been a quote unquote normal year. But then there's also, like you said, that social and emotional toll and the not seeing your peers for that long is, it's hard even for adults. I mean, it's been tough for us seeing working remotely this whole time. We're used to being in the office, sitting next to each other, bouncing ideas off each other, socializing, taking our lunch, whatever it might be, you know, just these little things that you kind of took for granted in your your day-to-day life that make a big difference. And then you've got kids who are hauled up for a year plus just in their house by themselves with their families, but just not able to have that kind of interaction that humans crave in a sense and, and kind of need to make things feel normal. So uh, it, it had to have been so tough for a lot of those students. So uh, I'm hoping that next year we can kind of get back to something a little more normal for their sake and for, for everyone's sake, really. But so one more question kind of about last year's school and, and everything that happened. So it was obviously so different than the years past, like we talked about in terms of how the kids were educated. So did they change any of the grading and testing requirements because of that? I mean, were students still graded on the same kind of scale that they would be? And were they still required to take all of the usual state tests? The city decided to do what they did last school year at the end of last school year, where students could receive a normal grade like they would have in years past, like a traditional grade, or they could receive something called needs improvement or pass-fail, things like that, where it's it's not a, a number attached to something. And it's just more of a, a way for students and and their families to not feel worried about how a pandemic a pandemic school year would affect their future endeavors we have we had high school students that were probably very concerned about being able to tune into to in person or remote learning affecting their their chances of getting into a college or into a trade school or we think about the elementary school children who usually use the state exams to get into a middle school, uh, a prestigious middle school, or the middle school students even trying to get into, say, a specialized high school like Staten Island Tech. So I think the DOE's intention was to try to lift the weight of some of those fears that students and families would have by not necessarily saying we need to put a, a number to a grade. So they did the same thing they did last year. As for the state exams, for like the three grades three to five, they didn't have to take the exam. States across the entire United States were required to still administer an exam this year, but it was more of an opt-in. So families didn't have to have their child take it and the schools and the states wouldn't be penalized by the government for not having enough students taking the exam, for instance. Even remote students were able to come into the school building for the day and take the exam if they really wanted to, but it was not a requirement this year. However, for the high school students, the four main regions under state law were required to be taken this year. 
As for the rest of them, they, they were not required, so students were able to get a pass on that. They didn't have to take that this year, so they're kind of lucky in that sense. Yeah, I have a lot of friends who wish that they could have skipped out on some of their regents, so um, a little jealous in that regard. That trigonometry regent really got the, the best of, of far too many people, um, so they're, they're lucky in that regard. <laughs> um, so let's move on. Uh, you know, on this podcast, we obviously love to talk about the stories and stuff, but we also like to talk about, you know, the reporting process and kind of bring the listeners behind the scenes a little bit. So a big part of your job pre-pandemic was actually visiting these schools, interacting with the students and teachers and parents in person. Obviously, you've been unable to do that for, you know, over a year now. So can you talk a little bit about how the pandemic changed the way that you did your job in terms of getting stories and also just staying connected in the Staten Island Schools community? It was very different because usually there would be school events that I would go to and and they would send me stories and, and give me tips and say, please come to this event. When school shut down completely last March, it was mayhem. And I actually stayed in touch with a lot of teachers that I've had contact with in the past. I even reached out to a lot of them on Facebook and spoke to them there. And it, when I finally was able to go back to a school building uh, in November, I went to my first school building that I hadn't been to since February. And it just felt so different, but at the same time, it just felt like it just reminded me of what it was like for just a moment, even though I was wearing a face mask, I had to sign a health screening, I had to get my temperature taken just like everyone else in the school building. But it really felt good to be back just because it kind of gave you a bit of hope that this is going to eventually go away. Of course, schools would shut down the week after I went. But over the course of the last few months, I have been able to go back to schools, whether it was for outdoor events. And, you know, just those small stories again, just going to a garden of children painting rocks with just phrases of being kind to others. Like, we would never have done something like that where I would go out to that school. But because it was so long... Since I've been to a school building, I was like, I need to go. I need to go and see it. I need to see children, even with their face masks on. So it felt really good to be back. And the teachers have been through so much. And I'm really grateful that they have spoken to me and have reached out to me and always answered me when I had questions. And even during their Woman of Achievement that we had last year, I spoke to one teacher who never stopped working during the pandemic And it just like, it reminds you of how important our schools are and our school staff are. The people that we're working in, like the cafeterias have never had a day off. They always (laughs) did the grab and go meals. So, you know, it's, it was different to report on something that was, has never happened before, but it really took it from, you took it from a different perspective on what it was like to be able to highlight the good things that were happening in schools, despite everything else feeling like like everything was just going to continue to go wrong. So it was very different from what I've ever experienced. <laughs> Obviously, I think for everyone that has been working can say the same. Um, you know, just being able to keep in contact with the teachers was so important. Keeping in contact with the schools, reminding them that we're there, we're still doing the community news that 
they always invite us to and we really appreciate it and I recently went to a school PS78 where the chancellor visited and the DOE was telling me that the schools always get excited when we show up and we attend events so it really felt good to be reminded of that despite everything that's been happening. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you really did do an incredible job kind of uh, adjusting on the fly this year, as you said, and just figuring out ways to, to stay in touch with these people and, and still share their stories in, in a meaningful way, even if you couldn't be there in the way that you maybe have been in the past physically. So let's talk um, next year. Let's let's look forward a little bit. So uh, I know that they're still figuring a lot of this stuff out. It will likely be, you know, pretty last minute with some of this. They still have the summer to, to kind of iron out the details. But what do we know so far about the upcoming school year? What's going to be different? What's going to be the same? As of right now, from what the, do, what the DOE keeps saying, the mayor keeps saying, the chancellor keeps saying, every single student is going to go back to their school building in person. What that looks like, we still really don't know. And it's kind of been a hassle to try to figure out what the city plans to do. And I think a lot of it is just waiting on the the CDC guidance to come in and give them some um, information about what schools should be doing for next school year. And that's in the scope of social distancing and mask wearing. We know that the city plans, as of right now, to continue wearing face masks for students and staff. And I I very emphasize the right now because when the chancellor did a virtual session with Staten Island parents about a month ago, she kept saying and kept repeating, this is everything that's happening as of right now because everything keeps changing. And I think that's also an issue for the DOE to try to figure out what are we going to do about social distancing? I think that's the main thing the city needs to figure out by the start of the school year. Because as we know, we had blended learning for as an option for a reason. It was because every single student wasn't able to be seated six feet apart in a classroom. It just wasn't physically possible. And from the CDC has since changed that guidance to three feet apart. And we still don't think that every single student will be able to go to a classroom still seated three feet apart, social distancing very safely. So we have to think, how is the city going to be able to do something like that under the current guidelines? And right now it doesn't seem possible, probably because it isn't. And I think that's why they're relying and just waiting on the CDC to get that information out. And We still don't know when that's coming. I keep thinking that it'll happen around July, right before some of the schools down south start going back in August. So I think that'll give the city enough time to say, okay, this is what we're doing. Here's how we're gonna figure it out. From what I know, from what I've spoken to the the principal's union, he was saying that they were taking other spaces in schools and transforming them into classroom settings to provide more, you know, opportunities for for schools to have space. You know, we think about they were saying they were changing storage spaces to classrooms, you know, using ca- like cafeterias, using auditoriums, gymnasiums and using those as classrooms because there's just not enough space under the guidelines right now. 
but it's still we still don't really know much about anything else how they're going to bring them back again the masks are still going to be a thing as of right now social distancing we're still trying to figure it out but we do know every single person's going back there's not going to be a blended option there's not going to be a remote option for anyone so in terms of what that will look like it should look like two years ago when when we were in 2019 and the new school year started that's what it should look like except for people might just be wearing a mask now how it's going to happen is still yet to come so we'll just have to wait and see a couple more weeks hopefully hopefully we're giving enough time for the schools and the principals and the teachers to figure out what they're doing before with enough time before the school year does start Yeah, it certainly seems like there's still a lot kind of up in the air right now, wait and see mode for for New York City in terms of what the CDC guidance is going to be. So it'll keep you busy over the next few weeks and and months as we prepare for that next school year. So it's kind of funny with you as education reporter, I always feel like when the school year ends, like maybe you get a little break, but not really because then you're just looking forward to the next one. But thank you so much for joining me today, Annalise. Keep up the amazing work that you do covering Staten Island schools, and I look forward to having you on again soon. Yes, thank you for having me again. Did you know construction of the FDR boardwalk in South Beach began on November 19th, 1935? Thank you for listening to the Staten Island Advances from the scene. If you like what you've heard, please make sure to rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit silive.com for the latest on all these stories and more. Thank you for supporting local journalism.